morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Dan. If you would turn to Psalm 42, and we'll actually look at Psalm 42 and 43 this morning. There's a song I've mentioned in the past by Andrew Peterson entitled Dancing in the Minefields. And it brings together two things that you wouldn't normally put together, uh, dancing and the idea of being in the midst of a minefield, which is obviously a picture of danger. And um, he says in that song, and actually the song is about his, his uh, engagement and his marriage, which is interestingly enough. And he says, uh, we went dancing in the minefields, we went sailing in the storms, and it was harder than we dreamed but I believe that's what the promise is for. And so whether we're talking about marriage or any other aspect of life, it tends to be harder than what we might expect for various reasons. And yet that's what makes the promises of God so precious to us. It's because in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the minefields, we have something to look to and hold on to. He says at one point, "'Cause we bear the light of the Son of Man.'" So there's nothing left to fear. So I'll walk with you in the shadow lands till the shadows disappear. Because he promised not to leave us and his promises are true. So in the face of all this chaos, I can dance with you. And so dancing is a picture of joy. And, and yet we have it centered in or in the midst of dangerous, difficult situations like a minefield. And... The reality is we live in a world that is filled with those kinds of things, dangerous things. And the most dangerous things of all are lies. And that picture that I have up there uh, on this exit sign that says, Beware, lies, lies, and more lies. I'm not sure if the exit means that's what you're going to get into if you take the exit or if that's how you escape the lies. I'm not sure exactly what the intent of the picture is, but... I don't know about you, but as I watch what's going on in our country and as I just think about what the Bible says about uh, the nature of sinful man, and as I think about the reality that the Bible says Satan is the prince of the power of the air, he's the ruler of this world, and he's the father of lies. And so we should not be surprised if there are lies Lies and more lies coming at us all the time in various ways uh, from the world, from our own flesh, and obviously as the devil works in various ways. And so what the ladies are talking about this weekend is the importance of the truth, the truth of God's word and fighting the lies that come at us in all kinds of ways every day. And they're talking about it in terms of um, the seasons of life, Uh, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall. And they're talking about how at different times in our lives, there can be different trials or different temptations in light of whatever season we're in. And that's why we need the truth of God that, that speaks to every season of our lives, every trial that we might get into, every temptation that might come our way. And so what I wanted to do was just to do the same kind of thing they're doing this weekend by preaching from Psalm 42 and 43. I'm not going to preach what they're talking about per se, except in terms of the same theme. And so that way we can um, 
discuss with their wives and daughters when they get back along the same lines. Psalm 42 and 43, um, it's uncertain whether or not David wrote these two psalms. Um, Some say it was written by one of the sons of Korah. Others say, no, it was sung by the sons of Korah, but actually written by David. And many would argue for that, that while he was in exile running from Saul or maybe uh, running from Absalom later on in his kingship. But one way or the other, he was prevented from normal access to the sanctuary of God, normal access to the worship of God. And he was, in a sense, on the run. And he's bemoaning that fact. And he's tempted to despair in the midst of those circumstances. Uh, Obviously, in our Bibles, there are two different psalms. But many people believe at one time they were one song or one psalm. And at some point were uh, divided. And so let me read for us, excuse me, uh, these two psalms. And then we'll... Just briefly look at uh, some of the ways we can apply it in our own lives. It says in verse 1 of Psalm 42, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. One of the themes for the ladies is this weekend is preaching to yourself. Preach the truth to yourself in light of the lies that you're hearing, in light of what you're feeling and experiencing. 
And so I want to talk about preaching to ourselves because this psalm is very much about the idea that we all need to preach to ourselves. And the reason that we need to preach to ourselves is because we all have questions. We all have questions about life. And the, the reality is even godly people, even people who know God, who've been reconciled to God, have many, many questions. Um, our, our single fathers here this morning, we're, we're glad that they're here. And if you think about little kids, uh, they tend to be um, very much full of questions. They have questions to ask. They want to know. They want to learn. They don't understand uh, what's going on. And many times they don't understand why mom and dad uh, make the decisions they make and do what they do. They're filled with questions. We are children of God. And we should not be surprised if we are filled with questions. These two psalms, if you look at them, there are 11 different questions. I didn't say different questions. Sometimes they're repeated questions. There's 11 questions. One is a when question. The other 10 are why questions. And so we just have to remember that it's not ungodly to be full of questions. In fact, the more we know God, the more questions we might have about what's going on and what he's up to. And they're not just um, questions like, you know, I wonder, you know, what God was doing before he created everything. Uh, they're, they're questions like, why am I going through what I'm going through in light of what I know about God and what I know about what he's promised me? How does all this fit together? They're not just academic questions. They're very personal and real and disturbing questions. And the psalmist, David, we think, expresses that uh, struggle that he has as a man after God's own heart, his struggle with what is taking place in his life. And what raises questions for us uh, many times is just our circumstances. Uh, People can do it, like in the psalm, uh, there are people evidently saying, where's your God? But just our circumstances raise questions in our own minds. It doesn't have to be someone speaking those questions to us. They arise from our own hearts. And we have to answer these questions not with what we don't know, but with what we do know about God and about what he's promised us and what he has done for us. And so we have to be honest about who we are and resolve to fight with and believe the truth. It's interesting, John Calvin comments on Psalm 42, and he says, Unless God impart strength to us, how shall we be able to subdue the many evil thoughts which constantly arise in our minds? The soul of man serves the purpose, as it were, of a workshop to Satan, in which to forge a thousand methods of despair. So you hear what he's saying? He's saying, uh, our own souls our own thoughts that we deal with every day are like a workshop that Satan goes into and he says, okay, how can I plunge them into despair today? What can I use to plunge them into the depths of despair? And so the first thing to realize is that life is full of questions. Even godly people uh, are full of questions and that's okay. But we should have questions. 
but it's what we do with those questions that's going to make the difference uh, one way or the other. And so the need to preach to ourselves is because of all the questions that other people have as well as we, what we have. Secondly, the reason why we need to preach to ourselves is because other people are preaching and other things are preaching. Uh, we need to preach to ourselves because of other voices. Um, you know, you've probably walked by or seen on the street um, homeless people and they're talking to themselves or, or speaking into the air. And um, some of them even hear voices or some people hear voices. But the reality is uh, we may think, well, it's only people that are in a really bad mental state that hear voices. The reality is all of us hear voices. All of us hear voices, maybe not in the same way that some people hear voices, but all of us hear voices. And it's actually a godly person who does talk to himself. We need to be talking to ourselves in the way that's described here in the Psalms. And so, as it says in verse 3 and verse 10, uh, people were saying to David, where is your God? And whether it's people saying that, or whether it's circumstances that are just implying that God has abandoned us, he's gone, or God is attacking us, or whatever it might be, we have to realize that we are continually under assault by different voices. And those voices come from without, but they also come from within. Our own hearts uh, speak to us in different ways. In John 10, uh, the Lord Jesus said in in talking about the fact that we're sheep and he's the good shepherd, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Satan, who is the father of lies, who is the ruler of this world, is constantly feeding us lies to steal and kill and destroy people in general, and the people of God, to rob them of their faith, to rob them, excuse me, of their joy. There's a famous book that I've mentioned before by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. And he actually spends time talking about Psalm 42. And I'll just remind you again, you're probably familiar with this, but at the beginning, uh, he talks about uh, the importance of realizing that you're being spoken to. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And he talks about, just think about when you wake up in the morning, automatically things begin going on in your mind about the day about what you think about the day, about what you're anticipating, about your fears, your anxieties, your questions, your struggles, and voices, so to speak, are speaking to you. He says, somebody is talking. Who is talking? Yourself is talking to you. But he says, we need to recognize that that's a dynamic in our lives. And obviously, if we start turning things on, turning on at the radio or turning on or looking at social media. We've got other voices talking to us as well. And he says we have to make sure that we're, we're talking to ourselves in light of the truth, like David does in this chapter. 
he says we have to be like David in the sense that we talk to ourselves in this way. Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. You're talking to me. And you're telling me I have all these things I need to be worried about and all these things I need to be anxious about and all these things that I need to fear. Uh, Let me talk to you for a minute. He says we need to say things like, um, self, you need to turn to God and trust in God. He says the, the main art and the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. Think about that. He says one of the most important things we need to learn is how to handle ourselves, how to deal with our own thoughts, our own voices, whether it's coming from without or coming from within. And we have to, um, he says, turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, say to yourself, hope in God. And you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say, with this man, I shall yet praise him. I will trust God and I will have reason to praise him for how he brings me out of this, how he provides for me, how he does all that needs to be done. To me, this is very similar to what Jesus said. He said in two different places in Mark 4, he said, take care what you listen to. And then in Luke 8, he says, take care how you listen. What you listen to and how you listen, which means what are you doing with what you hear? On the one hand, we need to be careful what we're listening to, what we're feeding our hearts and minds on. And secondly, whatever we are hearing, we need to be careful how we're hearing it. Are we embracing it as gospel truth? Or are we arguing with it in light of what the truth of God says? Because... The point that Martin Lloyd-Jones is making is that um, God wants us to have joy. It's a testimony to a lost and and despairing world that we have joy. And so joy is something to fight for. Um, Peace is something to fight for. Um, In Nehemiah 8.10 it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so it's something to fight for. Uh, Paul could say that they were workers with the Corinthians for their joy. Uh, He tells the Philippians that he would remain with them for their progress and joy in the faith. Um, In Romans 15, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so joy, fighting for joy, is a very important thing. It's a testimony to our faith in God. And so it's no surprise that the devil, through various means, through our own sinful flesh, our own sinful hearts, as well as through things outside of us, is constantly feeding us lies to undermine our faith and to undermine our joy. And so we need to preach to ourselves because of the lies, because of the questions that we have. We need to um, preach um, in light of the fact that um, there are all kinds of voices coming our way. There are other preachers. And again, we need to preach carefully. We need to preach the truth. Um, You know, um, parenting is a very challenging thing. And one of the things you'll find out when you become a parent is that uh, all kinds of people have wonderful advice they want to give you. 
And that's not a bad thing. I think it's something we should appreciate as parents, especially as young parents. There are people that want to help us. And yet there's all kinds of advice out there. And as young parents, you have to determine what voice you're going to listen to for your parenting. It's the same way in the Christian life in general. You have to decide what voice am I going to listen to? I've got all kinds of voices telling me about what I should be pursuing, uh, what I should be trusting to be true, how I should live my life. The question is, what voice am I going to live in, uh, listen to? And so what we see David doing in these Psalms is he talks about uh, the truth that he is fighting with. He talks about hoping in God. Um, he talks about God commanding loving kindness in the daytime. Uh, he talks about God being his rock and his exceeding joy, his strength and all those things. And then in verse 3 of chapter 43, he says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Ultimately, he's highlighting the fact that it's the truth of God that needs to be the voice that we're listening to. Because the truth of God, God's word, sheds a different light on our circumstances than what we naturally see or think is true. It sheds a different light than what the world says is true. That I need to see things in light of what is really going on. It's one of the things I love about the book of Job is that Job suffers greatly and he's very honest with God about how he feels abandoned by God. He feels mistreated by God. And at the end, he comes to the conclusion that he was completely wrong about God. He didn't lose, he didn't let go of God. I mean, Satan was tempting him to try to get him to curse God. He did not do that. He was faithful to God, but he really struggled with what God was doing. He wrestled with that, but in the end, he realized that he was all wrong. God was all right. And he says it this way, Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Meaning I had no clue what you were up to. I really thought you were out to get me and you were out to bless me. You have to do me good. You are loving me perfectly through it all. It's interesting to me in Psalm 42, um, it talks in, I think it's verse 7, where he talks about your waves are um, over me and that sort of thing. Um, Calvin talks about that verse about the waves of God, and he says, It ought to be observed that he designates the cruelty of Saul and and his other enemies as floods of God. Your waves, um, you're the one who's sending all of this uh, stuff toward me. You're the one who is actually in control of it all. And there's no doubt that in the situation with Job, Satan was trying to take something from Job. He was trying to undermine his faith. He was trying to steal, kill, and destroy Job's faith. But God was doing something different. God was up to good things in Job's life. And so it's kind of like the the cookie story I've told where the person, the lady's in the airport, and she thinks, This other man, the stranger, is eating her cookies. 
when she's really eating his cookies. And at the end, she realizes that she was condemning him for eating her cookies when he was really giving her his cookies. She thought he was taking from her when he was really giving to her. That is life. Uh, We naturally think God is taking from us. That's what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden. God is taking from you. He's robbing you. He's keeping something good from you. It was a lie. It was a lie from the pit of hell. And so we're all tempted to think that God has abandoned us, that God is taking from us when he's actually right there with us and he's giving to us to meet the deepest needs of our heart. Uh, There's a song called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was written back in 1976 by Gordon Lightfoot. It's, It's about a true story about a ship on Lake Superior, it was the biggest ship on the, those lakes um, at the time that got into hurricane, almost hurricane force winds, and actually sank, and 29 men died. And in the midst of that song, uh, there's a line that says this, the wreck of, uh, excuse me, it says, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Does anyone know where the love of God goes in the midst of the storm? And the biblical answer is nowhere. Love of God is right there. Love of God is over everything, and that's especially true for his people. That's why the Lord Jesus could say, And John 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And he goes on to say, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So how does the son make you free? Through the truth, which means what enslaves us? Lies. Therefore, the most important thing is the truth and the most dangerous thing is a lie. The most dangerous thing is not illness or um, what anything that we might lose or anything we, that might happen to us. It's what we think about those things. It's whether or not we think and believe lies about those things or whether or not we believe the truth about those things. That's the most dangerous thing. And so we have to recognize what is the real minefield. It's not trials and and tribulations, it's what we think about those things. And whether or not we see them from the perspective of the truth, or we see it from Satan's perspective, we believe the lies. The questions rise in our mind, and how do we answer those questions? With lies or with truth? And so it's very important what our ultimate guide is. You know, is my guide going to be the Bible and the truth of God, or is it going to be my own heart? Um, I was reading in Proverbs this week. It says, um, whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. We just trust whatever we think. Uh, We're fools, the Bible says, because we don't think rightly. We don't see things rightly. We need to hear what God has to say. The Bible, God's word, has to be our ultimate guide. Because like um, someone has said, 
Our joy is rooted in two things. What God has done for us and what God has promised to do for us. What he's done for us and what he's promised to do for us. And the Bible tells us what God has done for us and what he's promised to do for us all in Christ and all because of Christ. Well, fourthly, let me just mention, um, we need to preach to ourselves through the means of grace. We need to preach the truth and we need to do it through the means of grace. What I mean by that is we need to preach the truth to ourselves in all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways. And um, I think it was back during the the, uh, initial Cold War. We seem to be in another Cold War now, but uh, the Cold War years ago between the U.S. and the USSR, there were people who were saying um, back in the 50s and 60s that, as I understand it, I think they were saying, I've heard this, that some were thinking that, you know, maybe Russia is trying to bring the U.S. down through rock music, that rock music is a a way of undermining the values in our country and actually defeating the U.S. Well, whatever truth there might be in that, the reality is that music, entertainment, all kinds of things are proclaiming something. They're preaching something. And if they're lies, they're a kind of propaganda And so could Russia have designed uh, or wanted that to be another kind of propaganda, another way of disseminating lies to manipulate people in various ways? There's no doubt about it. We have to realize that preaching comes in different forms. And that's why the Lord Jesus says, be careful what you listen to, be careful how you listen. And in Psalm 42 and 43 Uh, In various ways, it touches on different ways in which we hear the truth or we uh, focus on the truth. He talks about um, prayer when he says in verse 4, I pour out my soul within me. He talks about the church, so to speak, when he talks about the procession to the house of God in that same verse. talks about fellowship with other believers when he talks about a multitude-keeping festival. In verse 6, he talks about meditation when when he says, I remember you. Uh, Again, he talks about singing in verse 8. His song will be with me in the night. He talks about prayer again in that same verse, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse uh, 9 also says, I will say to God. Uh, So in this chapter or these chapters, he talks about speaking to himself, but he also talks about speaking to God and uh, talking to God about what is going on in his heart. He talks about worship and praise when he says in verse 11, I shall yet praise him him. And so all these things are a part of the picture of preaching to yourself. Um, There's a sense in which you do what the psalmist does here. He says, soul, you need to hang on. You need to trust God. You need to stop thinking that way. Then there's also the reality of you go to God and say, God, this is is what it looks like to me. Looks like you've abandoned me. It looks like you've forgotten me. It looks like I am no longer in your favor. Uh, Because whatever it talks about um, countenance in the chapter and and presence in the chapter, both of those refer to the idea of the face. That when he wants God's presence and he wants to appear before God, it's a sense in which he wants to see God's face so that his face is changed. 
his countenance is changed. He wants to see the countenance of God, that his countenance might be changed. He wants to see the face of God smiling upon him, expressing his love to him, that his face might not be downcast anymore or sunken, but might smile and rejoice. That's really the dynamic that's going on in this psalm. And so the the basic idea is that we should be preaching to ourselves the truth in all kinds of ways. Uh, in the book of Jonah, Jonah doesn't like what God does. And he gets to the point where he just wants to die. He just wants to die. And God comes to him very patiently and he asks him questions like, do you have good reason to be angry? And then he gives him a plant that he likes and then he takes the plant away and and... He comes to Jonah again and says, you know, you had compassion on the plant, but you don't have any compassion on these people. Should I not have compassion on these people? God deals with Jonah very gently and very kindly, but he challenges his thinking. He challenges his feelings. And he says, you're not thinking right about this. And that's why you're so downcast. And that's why you don't want to live anymore. And so listening to God is the only solution for our being in despair, which means to be sunk down low or to be disturbed, which is a picture of like being um, like the roaring of the waves or the murmuring of our hearts. And so we have to listen to God because um, so many times it feels like God has forgotten us. Uh, As someone has said, the forgetfulness that David talks about here is the outward appearance of being forgotten. Not that God ever forgets us, but we can feel like he does or it can appear like he does. And so we're in a war. That's why it says in Ephesians 6 that we are to put on the full armor of God and we're take up the shield of faith uh, where we can ward off the uh, darts of the enemy and we're to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we're to pray. We're to do everything we can to stand. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Do everything you can to stand. Because there is somebody that's trying to take you down. This is not a playground. This is a battlefield. That's what the Bible says about this world that we live in, this fallen world. And um, George Mueller was a man... uh, who's famous or is a man who's famous for prayer, how he would pray for his orphans and God would answer those prayers in wonderful ways. And yet he would argue that the most important thing, as as important as prayer is, he would say the most important thing for you to do every day is to get your heart happy in God and to use the Bible to do that. He says, According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. It is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. And he says that's the key to serving God well. Obviously, it's the key to our praying as we should pray as well, because he certainly encourages us to pray. He says, happiness is obtained through the study of the scriptures, which should be read regularly, should be meditated on, thought about. 
He says, I saw in his own experience, he says, the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditate on it, to ponder it, to apply it to my own heart. He says, I'm telling you all this. He says, I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your father in heaven, cares for you. You get the connection there? He says, the most important thing for you is to make yourself or to pursue happiness, joy in God. And that is clearly linked to you believing the truth so that you know God cares for you. He loves you. Your joy is connected to your being convinced that God loves you. And he's loving you. He has not abandoned you. He is not punishing you. He is not uh, walking away from all that he's promised you. And the reality is, it's a war. It's a war. Satan doesn't want you to believe that. He didn't want Job to believe that. He wanted Job to curse God and die. He wants us to curse God and die. And that's why we have to fight the fight, the good fight of faith. And so there's all kinds of ways we can preach to ourselves, listen to the truth. Obviously, read your Bible, pray. And when you're praying, you're talking about the truth. You're arguing with yourself and you're saying, God, this is the truth. You're pleading the promises, all those things. Doing what we're we're doing right here, going to church. That's a way of fighting for your joy in God, talking to yourself. Why am I down? What is the truth? Asking God to help you with your unbelief. Praying about your negative thoughts. That's what the psalmist does here. Arguing with yourself and contradicting your negative thoughts with scriptural truth. Memorize scripture. Sharon does a wonderful job of that and has encouraged us over the year. Memorize scripture and meditate on it throughout the day and, and use it in your fight. Listen to podcasts and teaching and preaching. Listen to it when you can. Uh, listen to gospel-oriented music. If you're going to watch TV and movies, which most of us enjoy doing that, um, make sure you're using that as a venue, too, to watch things that are that have gospel-oriented messages and redeeming messages and encouraging messages. Um, not just, just don't listen to music and watch TV and movies and things that are just constantly feeding you lies. Um, we have to be aware of that dynamic. Uh, read gospel-oriented books. Cultivate friendships, close friendships with people who will encourage you to think biblically. Think about the gospel. Um, and fight with gospel summaries. There's a reason why I do that five-finger thing. God is the supreme good. Man is an idol worshiper. Jesus is the double cure. Faith is trust in the promises. Love is the obedience of faith. Why do I do that? Those are easy reminders to me of vast and wonderful and deep gospel truth. God is the most important good that I can ever pursue. I am an idol worshiper who continually runs after everything but God, naturally. Jesus is the double cure, which means he is the one who can rescue me from my guilt and give me the righteousness I need so that I can walk in a manner pleasing to God Um, faith is trust in the promises, which means at the heart of faith is not just believing there is a God, but believing that he's promised me something. And I'm fighting with what he's promised me. 
It's a relational thing. It's not just a theoretic thing. Oh, I know there's a God. No, I know there's a God who's promised me great and magnificent and wonderful things. And my circumstances do not deny that any more than what Sean read. The coming of the law did not um, erase the promise. My circumstances do not erase the promises of God. But I have to fight with the promises of God because I tend to believe what my circumstances sound like. And I tend to believe what my heart misinterprets my circumstances to be like. And so we're in a battle. And so the last thing I just want to point out as I wrap up is the goal is to be always rejoicing even when sorrowful and not despairing even when perplexed. And I want to explain what I mean by that. Um, I say that because sometimes we get the idea that the goal is no struggle. The goal is no questions. The goal is just flying through life with no issues. It's not the goal. That's heaven. What, I mean, that is the goal ultimately. But in this world, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have doubts. We're going to have sin. We're going to have questions. The issue is, will I continue to hope in God, in Jesus, through Jesus, or not? That's the question. In light of my sin, my doubts, my struggles, my questions, will I still hope in God? That's the issue. And that's what is meant by rejoicing even when sorrowful and not despairing even when perplexed is that um, David here is picturing for us what it really means to be victorious. Um, it's interesting to me if you, if you read through the churches in the book of Revelation, at the end of every one of those, the Lord Jesus says, he who overcomes or to him who overcomes. This will be the reward, which lets you know that the Christian life is very much about fighting and having to overcome things. The, the picture is you're not going to get to heaven without overcoming some things. You're not just going to waltz into heaven with no trouble, no struggles, no doubts, no fears, no questions. It's a faith that holds on to Jesus no matter what those questions are, no matter what those doubts are, no matter what sin you might be struggling with, no matter what is going on. And that's the picture that we have here is that godliness is, is not not struggling. It's what you do with those struggles. It's not not having questions. is what you do with those questions. And that's why I, I've said what I've said in terms of the goal, it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, Paul says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, which means I should expect in the Christian life to have sorrow. There are things right now that grieve me every moment of every day. And yet, God isn't going to eliminate the grief, but he says, I want you to rejoice in the midst of that sorrow. I want you to know what the truth is. And I want you to let that give you a joy in the midst of appropriate sorrow. There, there are things that we ought to be grieved over. We ought to be sad about. We ought to be affected by. We should not be indifferent to the sufferings of other people. 
We shouldn't even be indifferent to our own sufferings. But he wants us to find joy in the midst of it. And then the other part of it is also found in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says in verse 8, perplexed but not despairing. Perplexed means it's like I'm in a maze and I cannot find my way out. I don't know uh, which way to go. He says, you can be a godly person and be perplexed. Have questions. Not know what the future is going to hold. Not be sure about what you're supposed to do in certain situations. But not despairing. Because you know you have a God who is going to lead you. He's going to enable you. He's going to give you what you need when you need it. He's there to help you. So perplexed but not despairing. Sorrowful but always rejoicing. Spurgeon says the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy till we have it and to pant hourly after it. He's picturing the fact that godly people sometimes really sense God's love and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we really know that God is with us and he's for us sometimes we're not so sure. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. But he says, David in this psalm pictures for us the pursuit of that assurance. But it's not something we pursue giving in to the doubts that he loves us, but we recognize that our greatest joy is in seeing and knowing and experiencing the smile of our Father. That that is our greatest joy and our greatest happiness. When we get to heaven and we see God, and in some way, shape, or form, we experience face-to-face His smile, we will be perfectly, fully, and forever satisfied. And every fear and every tear will be gone forever. There's nothing greater than to know that God is smiling upon you and will not do anything but smile upon you. And that's the picture that we have in this psalm. And it's a fight to not give in to our doubts. Um, And it's all connected to Christ. It's all connected to what we'll celebrate in the Lord's Supper in just a, a moment, that we know that God loves us because of Christ and what he's done for us. Let me just close with another song, a song I've referenced uh, a number of times over the years, but it, I think, is a perfect song for these, uh, song for these two psalms, uh, Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns. Uh, and one part of the song, he talks about being uh, in a storm like the disciples were, And just like Peter was invited to step out on the water, he could imagine, you know, I'd love to be able to step out on the water and trust God, but I hear the waves talking to me. He says, the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The waves, they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win, you'll never win. That's like, where is your God? Where's your God? Um, All the doubts, questions, and fears that can come our way. But then the song goes on and says, but the voice of truth tells me a different story. 
It's a different narrative. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. That's the question for every one of us today. Of all the voices calling out to you, which voice will you listen to? Which voice will I listen to? The second part of the song is about, you know, I'd like to be like David uh, fighting the giant. He says, but the giant's calling out my name and he laughs at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. Then he goes on to talk about, but the voice of truth is telling me a different story. The voice of truth is telling me the truth. Whereas the giant lies. The waves lie. The world lies. My own flesh, my own sinful heart lies to me. And I need to depend on the voice of truth. And he says, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth because Jesus, you are the voice of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But if anyone comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. That's the voice of truth. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to um, realize that though, though there are so many things to enjoy in this world, so many blessings, so many evidences of your grace and mercy and goodness, so many things that everyone enjoys by common grace and so many things that we enjoy as your people. Yet it's very easy to forget that we live in a minefield of lies, lies that are coming at us through social media and through TV and music and movies and uh, people, believers and even uh, unbelievers as well as believers sometimes, just like Peter who said to you, Lord Jesus, uh, that'll never happen to you. And you said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. And so, Father, there's all kinds of ways in which the lies are coming to us and certainly our own hearts are not to be trusted by themselves without your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see uh, the danger of the lies, that the real danger before us is not what we go through. It's how we look at what we go through. It's what we think about what we go through. It's about whether or not we are believing the voices that are lying to us or whether we're believing you, believing the truth, and that through that we're believing your love for us and we're finding greater joy and greater peace. Nothing perfect. There is nothing perfect in this life for us, and yet one day it will all be perfect. And so we just pray that you would help us, Father, uh, to choose to believe the voice of truth, to fight to believe the voice of truth, to feed the voice of truth in our lives in various ways and help us to stand in the day of evil. Help us not to give in to the temptation to curse God and die. Please help us, O Lord. Please encourage us. Please strengthen our faith. Help us to see your heart, to see that you are smiling upon us behind an, a, a providence that does not seem to be smiling at all. So, Father, we just pray for your grace. We pray for your help. 
And we pray that you prepare us for the Lord's Supper in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.